Hello, if you happen to be a Christian, how strong is your faith in Christ? Well, we'll pursue that question later, but I must first give you, of course, a warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching programme with your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston. I'm delighted you've joined us for the first of our new series of talks, because during the next couple of months, Brian will be considering something which still bothers a lot of believers. And that's why I asked earlier, how strong is your faith? The question is, is it possible we could profess Christ and still be lost? Some of Brian's thinking behind the scriptures can be quite complex. That's why it can be useful to have the transcript study book. And after Brian's talk, I'll be reminding you how to get it. Today, Brian's chosen to discuss law and grace, two very different freedoms we enjoy as believers. And now, here is Brian. Thanks, John. Ever since the Apostle Paul wrote the words, you are not under law, but under grace, the debate has never ended. But what exactly is the debate? In the Christian life, even among genuine believers, some will tend toward legalistic thinking even though they know their acceptance before God is not based on their performance, they still tend to live their lives in that way and perhaps judge others on the same basis. On the other hand, some other genuine Christians get taken up with the idea of the freedom of grace. They think they can live as they please, even becoming careless about avoiding sinful practices. If we look at the Bible truths that Paul was teaching on, Around that key verse in Romans, chapter 6, 14, not under law, but under grace, then we could describe the ongoing debate as being about getting a true understanding of, on the one hand, what the Bible calls justification, and on the other hand, what the Bible calls sanctification. We should make it clear what these specialist Bible words mean. To justify means to declare someone righteous, certainly meaning that they're not guilty. And to sanctify means to set someone or something apart, as devoted for some special use for someone. It would often come to include the idea of being holy, in the sense of being different from or set apart from what is profane. Difficulties can arise if we use the word salvation to mean, in effect, both to be declared as not guilty before God and to be set apart as holy. When we do that, we've sacrificed some accuracy, and this can lead to serious confusion, sadly. The reason is the Bible is emphatic that we are justified by God's grace alone. The Bible explicitly says we are justified as a gift by God's grace, Romans 3.24. That's grace, meaning God's undeserved favour towards us, not based on any merit whatsoever on our part. But the Bible is also equally emphatic that we are to become in daily living what we are in God's sight. We are to become what we already are in the sense that we've been declared holy, but now we need to display holiness in our lives. Paul opens his first letter to the local church of God at Corinth by telling them they were holy ones by God's calling. Soon, however, by the time we get to the third chapter, we find him correcting their carnal behaviours. 
What we're saying is this, for us to be justified or declared righteous in God's sight is totally God's work. We don't and can't contribute anything to that. But there's an ongoing aspect to being sanctified in daily life that actively requires our cooperation with the Spirit of God who lives inside every true believer on the Lord Jesus. The result is, if we talk about our being saved without clarifying exactly what we mean by that, whether being justified or being sanctified, it can be like talking about apples and oranges, that is, two different things. Let's now bring the debate back to the terms of law and grace that we were reading about in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, where it says we are no longer under law but under grace. When we use salvation to mean justification and leave sanctification out of the discussion, it can seem as if we're hinting that a sort of lawless or careless type of living is somehow acceptable or at least tolerable. But if we should use salvation to mean sanctification and leave justification out of the discussion, someone is likely to yell legalism because they, on their part, are thinking salvation is all about justification, whereas they think we are stressing our performance. It really would be more helpful if we always made absolutely clear when we're talking about the means of our salvation and when we're talking about the response to our salvation. When we truly receive Christ as our personal saviour and live by remaining in God's love, then we are freed from the necessity of having to perform in a certain way. But we're also freed to do the specific good works that he's planned for us. Those are two different freedoms. The dispensation of law was not without grace, and the dispensation or age of God's grace is not anti-law. In terms of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, we could view the elder brother as legalistic and the prodigal as antinomian, from anti meaning against and nomian meaning law. This means the younger or prodigal son may be viewed as anti-law or careless, even lawless in his behaviour. Both sons needed to come to their father, who stood ready to extend grace and enjoy their fellowship. Perhaps it'd be worth unpacking that a bit more, for we often, I suspect, see this story as having a one-time application in our lives, relating to the before and after of our testimony of how we came to Christ. The thing that ought to be plain to us, from the timing and setting of where we read this story in the Bible, is who the main characters in the story represent. Let's remind ourselves of what was happening. Luke 15 from the first verse. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Not long after that we read, And he said, Jesus speaking, He said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in wild living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began doing without. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. 
and he longed to have his fill of the carob pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired labourers have more than enough bread? But I am dying here from hunger. I will set out and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired labourers. So he set out and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, For so many years I have been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours and yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. Plainly, the reference points are these. The prodigal is designed to make us think in terms of the tax collectors and other blatant sinners with whom Jesus was accused of fraternising. And by way of contrast, the elder brother seems to be pointing at the Pharisees and scribes, the party who were doing the accusing. The younger prodigal brother lived very carelessly. He was in fact a loose liver. He depicts a person who lives in a lawless way. We are familiar with the fact that when he came to his senses, he was warmly received by his father. His stay-at-home older brother illustrates the legalist who claims never to have broken any laws or commands. There's a self-righteousness about him, a smugness perhaps, that's less appealing. But let's remember that Saul of Tarsus was a leading Pharisee who came to Christ. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea also came out from the shadows and made public their allegiance to Christ. Have we been too hasty, I wonder, to write off the elder brother in this parable? After all, the father said to him, You have been always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The point I'm making is this. In the ranks of lawless antinomians, and also among the ranks of legalists, there are genuine Christians to be found.
Well, I hope you enjoyed today's study. And don't forget what I said earlier, that you might find it helpful to have the transcript book of all the talks in this series. You can obtain a copy by downloading it at churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Otherwise, you can write to us and ask for a hard copy book be posted to you. Just ask for the book for this series about salvation and don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. You can use email or the post and here's our postal address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. So, once more, many thanks for the pleasure of your company and for giving us your time. I hope you can join me next week for the second talk in this new series. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David our singers, and me, John. So see you again soon, and in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings.